I want to make a quick correction. When I speak to the RDA for iodine in this episode, I read it in what looked to me like UGs. So that's what I said. The RDA is 150 UGs. Oh my goodness. No, it's actually micrograms. So the RDA for iodine is supposed to be in micrograms. I apologize for that. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to The Mushroom's Apprentice. I'm your host, Shona Holm. I'm focusing on health again today because if we don't have our health, we're in big trouble. There is an old saying that goes, the greatest wealth is health. Well, we are in a time of massive upheaval and duress, and people are struggling on every level. A basic sense of well-being is not so easy to achieve for many people these days, and people are sicker than ever before. Well, I am always inclined to not accept the surface story. And sickness in whatever form is a symptom, whether it's prostate cancer or fibromyalgia. I wanna find the cause, whether that is in the psychotherapeutic work I do with my clients or with regard to physical symptoms that are manifesting, I want to find what I call the origination point of the emotional wounding or the physical manifestation. Often when we get to the origination point or the cause, we find there is a deficiency that's causing the issue, whether it's from a lack of love and care or a lack of nutrients, all of which are building blocks to a strong physical, mental, emotional constitution. And when I discover something of great value through the research I like to do, I put it into practice and I share it in the spirit of empowering people. Because we are being so screwed over with purposeful misinformation by the endless propaganda spewed forth by government agencies, health on every level is diminishing. And that is hugely disempowering, not to mention criminal. We have to be vigilant with regard to our health, and we have to be willing to let go of our indoctrination and seek more deeply away from the conventional narrative. What I share with you today isn't medical advice. This is for entertainment purposes only. So today I'm going to talk about iodine, which is an essential micronutrient required by every cell in our body for proper cell function. Yet over 95% of people are critically deficient in iodine and not just in the West. Dr. David Brownstein, MD, writes that data from the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey show that iodine levels have dropped by 50% in the US alone. Now, the information I'm sharing with you comes primarily from two superb books, the first by Dr. David Brownstein, and that's titled Iodine, Why You Need It, Why You Can't Live Without It. His website is drbrownstein.com. The second is by researcher Lynn Farrow, and that's that, that book is titled The Iodine Crisis. Both books have in-depth citations to clinical studies, articles, books, etc. 
Lynn has a website called breastcancerchoices.org, and that provides a copious amount of information on the effectiveness of various procedures and treatments for breast cancer. And there is a lot to read on iodine treatment. That site is a very important source for women who discover they have breast cancer or fibrocystic breast. Her other website is lynnfarrow.net, and she spells her name L-Y-N-N-E-F-A-R-R-O-W.net. Be aware that iodine is not the same thing as tincture of iodide, which is made with alcohol and used for topical application only. That product is definitely not for oral consumption. The iodine that I use is Lugol's iodine, and one can also use it in tablet form where it's known as iodorol. So I'm going to name some symptoms that can develop when one is iodine deficient, according to Dr. Brownstein. Cretinism, mental impairment, goiter, reduced intellectual ability, cysts, depression, fibromyalgia, and infertility. When you are deficient in iodine, you are predisposed to increased risk of breast, prostate, endometrial, and ovarian cancer. So yes, iodine levels and the proliferation of certain cancers are linked. Other illnesses that may result from iodine deficiency are multiple sclerosis and other myelin disorders, as well as ADHD. And Dr. Brownstein writes that, quote, the World Health Organization has recognized that iodine deficiency is the world's greatest single cause of preventable mental retardation. Iodine deficiency has been identified as a significant public health problem in 129 countries. Approximately one third of the world's population lives in iodine deficient areas, and up to 72% of the world's population is affected by an iodine deficiency disorder. End quote. Well, most people think they get enough iodine in iodized salt, but that is sadly untrue. Iodine was originally added to salt to prevent goiter, which is an enlargement of the thyroid. The government RDA, the recommended daily allowance for daily ingestion of iodine is 150 to 290. I think these are UGs. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. 150 to 290 UGs daily. And the average salt intake is around five grams a day. So if that person is consuming iodized salt, they would theoretically be receiving around 385 UGs of iodine, but that's not what's happening. Dr. Brownstein states that the RDA for iodine is, quote, inadequate to provide enough iodine to promote optimal thyroid, endocrine, and immune system functioning. Furthermore, the RDA is inadequate to prevent cancer, end quote. Every medical doctor is taught that there is enough iodine and table salt to provide the body's daily requirement, but there are zero studies to back up that claim. And data gathered in a study in 1969 showed that the iodine available in iodized salt is only 10% bioavailable. It's just barely enough to prevent goiter. And now many people are on low salt diets, which reduces their intake of iodine even further. Dr. Brownstein writes, quote, Iodine is added primarily to refined salt. 
Refined salt is a lifeless, devitalized product that has had all of its minerals removed and has also been exposed to toxic chemicals that give it its white color. The ingestion of refined salt leads to many health problems and it needs to be avoided. Unrefined salt should be the salt of choice, end quote. I use personally uh, something called Redmond salt, which comes out of the earth and it's loaded with minerals. Their website is redmond.life and the product is called Real Salt. You can find it easily at grocery stores. I purchase it from the website in 10 pound containers. And then I put a quarter teaspoon and eight ounces of water twice daily followed by another 16 ounces of just pure water. And I'll explain more on that when I discuss bromine. Now, proper iodine levels are undermined by pesticide and fertilizer use in commercial farming. So as a result of all of that, the soil becomes deficient in minerals and that includes iodine. The deficiencies in iodine that we're experiencing today originated with the changing of the food industry from natural organic farming to industrial farming using these chemical inputs. Dr. Brownstein writes that in the 1960s, iodine was added to the commercial baking industry where it was used as a dough conditioner for bread and pastry manufacturers, which meant that a single slice of bread provided the RDA for iodine of 150 UGs. This was all well and good until the National Institutes of Health published articles that questioned the safety of using iodine in bakery products, claiming that it would cause a malfunctioning of the thyroid gland. Now, a lot of people will tell you this, and this misconception comes from a very influential paper that was published in 1948 by Wolf Chaikoff, which convinced physicians that iodine was dangerous and would actually prevent the thyroid from working if people took larger doses of iodine. However, the authors of that paper made a rather major mistake in claiming that iodine caused goiter in rats at 20 times the recommended daily allowance. It was discovered that they never actually checked the rat's thyroid hormone levels and they reported no evidence of enlarged thyroid or disease. In her book, The Iodine Crisis, Lynn Farrow writes, quote, this mistaken conclusion was repeated by Wolf again in 1969, when another paper extrapolated the findings. Meanwhile, one of the authors, Dr. Wolf, moved from UC Berkeley to the National Institutes of Health, inflating the importance of the study. The influence of wolf chaikoff conclusions were so wide the phenomenon was institutionalized by calling the fear-mongering event, quote, the Wolf-Chaikoff effect. Medical textbooks perpetuated this mistake and taught it to at least three generations of doctors, end quote. Dr. Guy Abraham, MD, a former prof professor of obstetrics, gynecology, and endocrinology at the UCLA School of Medicine, wrote an article in 2005 titled, the wolf Tchaikov effect, crying wolf, which exposed the misinformation in the 1948 paper. And he went on to publish numerous articles on iodine deficiency and what that deficiency does to the health of the body. He partnered with two other physicians, Dr. David Brownstein, MD, and Dr. George Fletches, MD. Those three doctors 
have done tremendous work to correct the disastrous lies about iodine. And they have the patient results that have been tested over and over again that prove iodine's safety and efficacy, restoring its status from poison to vital nutrient with life-changing effects. In fact, iodine was used successfully by medical doctors for 150 years until traditional medicine radically changed over the first half of the 20th century to be replaced with synthetic pharmaceuticals and various procedures. However, medical records from 1906 cite iodine as, quote, the universal medicine, and it was used for goiter, atherosclerosis, syphilis, uterine fibroids, mercury, lead, and arsenic poisoning, swollen glands, prostate hypertrophy, scarlet fever, bronchitis and pneumonia, obesity, depression, breast pain, eczema, genitourinary diseases, malaria, ovarian cysts, rheumatism, gastralgia, tonsillitis, and cough. And the Merck Manual, which was highly respected and the best-selling medical textbook in the world, cited iodine in 1899 as the most used substance for tumors. Thousands of years before 1811, when iodine was identified as an element, its medicinal properties were accessed via seaweeds. Lynn Farrow writes of an archaeological excavation in Chile that unearthed a 15,000-year-old village of huts. One hut was set apart as a medicine hut, where nine different species of seaweeds were prepared. The seaweeds were examined and found to be superb sources of iodine, zinc, hormones, protein. And Farrow writes, quote, they discovered that those prehistoric people consumed seaweeds, which regulated cholesterol metabolism, strengthened bones, and strengthened immune response. She goes on to say, quote, some specimens were found dried, showing they had been preserved, and some specimens were burnt in the way later healers used to use seaweed ashes to treat goiter. Eventually, the iodine component of seaweed was identified by the researchers as the most active ingredient. What archaeologists called a masticated cud with antibiotic properties was found with teeth marks, suggesting one of the ways seaweed was consumed was in the form of a large lozenge that would get the medicine directly into the bloodstream via the blood vessels in the mouth, bypassing digestion, end quote. Ancient Chinese, Indian, Egyptian, and European herbal medicine books and scrolls recorded traditional medical practices that included the use of seaweed as a treatment for tumors, goiter, parasites, and tuberculosis. The great physician Hippocrates prescribed seaweed for goiter, along with other ailments. And in the 19th century, after iodine was discovered as an element, physicians began using it to treat a number of diseases. By then, doctors had figured out that iodine was the main healing force in seaweeds that had been used forever to shrink the thyroid of goiter. The most well-known iodine product is Lugol's, and this was created in 1829 by a Paris doctor, Jean Lugol. It consisted of 5% iodine and 10% potassium iodide in distilled water. Each drop of 5% Lugol solution contains five milligrams of iodine and 7.5 milligrams of iodide. 
Dr. Brownstein states that iodide is the reduced form of iodine, which contains an extra electron. Lugol's solution was used successfully for lung diseases and became a formidable healing agent for the ailments I've mentioned thus far. Dr. Lugol recommended a dose of two drops of Lugol's, which would be 12.5 milligrams of iodine. And Dr. Brownstein writes that 12.5 milligrams of iodine is very similar to the physiologic dose of iodine for sufficiency of the entire body. Iodine was eventually known as, quote, the Swiss army knife of medicine. And Lynn Farrow writes, quote, according to Francis C. Kelly, writing in the Proceedings of the Royal Society of Medicine, 1961, quote, the variety of diseases for which iodine was prescribed in the early years is astonishing. Paralysis, chorea, scrofula, lacrimal, fistula, deafness, distortions of the spine, hip joint disease, syphilis, acute inflammation, gout, gangrene, dropsy, carbuncles, whitlow, chillblains, burns, scalds, croup, catarrh, asthma, ulcers, and bronchitis, to mention only a few, end quote. He reports there that between 1820 and 1840, many publications appeared documenting the various applications, end quote. Also in the 1800s, you might be interested to know that women with painful cystic breasts were instructed by their doctors to paint their breasts with iodine. In fact, iodine was used in hundreds of breast cancer case studies reported by Dr. Alfred Valpo, who was a famous surgeon who cataloged his success with iodine in his 1856 book titled A Treatise on Cancer of the Breast and of the Mammary Region. And I have to share the story with you that Lynn Farrow mentions in her book, a Confederate Colonel, John B. Gordon, suffered numerous cannonball injuries to his leg, arm, shoulder, and face, and the injuries became infected. At the regiment hospital, the doctors prescribed tincture of iodine to be applied to the wounds three or four times a day. Gordon's wife misunderstood and thought they said three to four hundred times a day and diligently carried out her duty. Well, the Colonel, didn't die from overdose of iodine and his thyroid continued to function just fine. In fact, he recovered fully and went on to become governor of Georgia and he lived for another 40 years after his service in the Civil War. So that gives you a little history on the medicinal use of iodine and its efficacy for treating and reversing a number of ailments that are all too common today. Interestingly, iodine will also detoxify metals that don't belong in the body, and it strengthens the endocrine system, and it's a powerful antiviral, as well as an effective medicine for numerous lung diseases, as I mentioned earlier. That knowledge is readily available. So it certainly begs the question of why weren't we encouraged to use iodine these past three years? Something to ponder. Let's talk about iodine and the thyroid. Dr. Brownstein writes, quote, iodine is an essential ingredient in all of the thyroid hormones. T4, thyroxine, contains four iodine atoms. T3, triiodothyronine, contains three iodine atoms. Without sufficient iodine supply, the thyroid gland is unable to make thyroid in adequate amounts, end quote. 
So you are not going to have proper thyroid function if you're iodine deficient. Goiter is a great example of what can happen to the thyroid when the body doesn't have enough iodine. Other issues that result are hypothyroidism, autoimmune thyroid diseases, such as Graves and Hashimoto's disease, as well as thyroid cancer. The average healthy adult has 15 to 20 milligrams of iodine stored in the thyroid, and the thyroid can store up to 50 milligrams of iodine. Dr. Brownstein writes that when iodine levels are sufficient, the thyroid gland has a specialized system that concentrates a large amount of iodine compared to its size. Because iodine is essential for the production of thyroid hormone, a deficiency can have severe effects. For instance, normal brain development in an infant relies on thyroid hormone. So if there is a deficiency in iodine, that will result in abnormal brain development, which will show up as mental retardation, lowered IQ, ADHD, and autism. Dr. Brownstein writes that fetal iodine deficiency results in increased rates of stillbirth and congenital defects, and research shows a 50% increase in perinatal mortality when iodine levels are deficient. Iodine levels affect the IQ of the child. Dr. Brownstein cites a large analysis that compared children in iodine deficient and iodine sufficient areas that showed a 13.5 point difference in IQ score. I looked up the rates of thyroid disorders in the US and the estimates are at 20 million sufferers. I found an article on the subject on a medical website and when they discussed the cause, iodine deficiency was listed, but it stated that iodine deficiency is rare in the US, but quite common in the rest of the world, which according to doctors Abraham, Fletches, and Brownstein, could not be further from the truth. And Dr. Brownstein thinks the actual number is closer to 52 million Americans. Dr. Brownstein explains the discrepancy, saying that conventional doctors use blood tests to diagnose thyroid problems, but he feels these tests are not sensitive enough to pick up on abnormalities of the thyroid. The thyroid is really like command central in the body. It is a major metabolic regulator. Our trillions of cells depend on it for proper cellular function, as do all our muscles and every single organ. Dr. Brownstein writes, quote, in a low thyroid state known as hypothyroidism, the thyroid gland is releasing inadequate amounts of thyroid hormone to meet the body's metabolic demands, and the metabolic rate is therefore reduced. In a hyperthyroid state, the thyroid gland is releasing excess amounts of thyroid hormone that result in an elevated metabolism rate. Why do so many people across this country and the world have a serious problem like a thyroid disorder? Although the etiology of thyroid illness can be varied, one common denominator that could explain this epidemic is iodine deficiency, end quote. Dr. Brownstein then explains iodine's role in the function of the thyroid, stating, quote, iodine is responsible for maintaining the normal architecture of the glands of the body, including the thyroid, ovaries, uterus, breast, and prostate. When the cells of the glandular tissue have enough iodine, the tissue maintains a normal structure. When iodine is deficient, the architecture of the glandular tissue becomes disrupted and the tissue becomes cystic. 
Cysts are fluid-filled sacs that have a distinct border from the surrounding normal tissue. When palpated, cysts are generally soft and compressible. If iodine deficiency persists, the cysts become nodular. That is, they become more firm upon palpation. If iodine deficiency continues, the nodules start to change their histological appearance and become hyperplastic. Hyperplasia literally means overformation. In a hyperplastic state, the cells start to multiply rapidly and take on an increasingly disordered appearance when viewed microscopically. Eventually, if iodine deficiency is not corrected, the end stage of this continuum can be cancer, end quote. But here's good news. Later, he writes, quote, I have seen countless patients with cysts, nodules, and disrupted architecture of glandular tissue, including the breasts, ovaries, uterus, and prostate, improve or dramatically reverse their condition with iodine supplementation. In many cases, iodine supplementation results in a cure. How long does this process take? For most patients, three to six months is a reasonable time period to see results. Severely ill patients may take years to see results, end quote. Dr. Brownstein wrote a book titled Overcoming Thyroid Disorders, third edition, which would be a good go-to for anyone suffering from a thyroid disorder. Now, I shared earlier that iodine had been added to bread flour in the 60s, but due to articles published by the National Institutes of Health that questioned the safety of iodine, claiming it would damage the thyroid, they later removed iodine and replaced it with bromine, which is a halide, as is iodine, fluoride, and chloride. Halides compete with each other for receptor sites in the body, and bromine just happens to interfere with the thyroids available to utilize much-needed iodine for proper function. And of course, bromine also interferes with other areas in the body, for instance, the breasts, which require higher levels of iodine for proper health. Bromine is a highly toxic substance, and it's known as a goitrogen because it promotes the formation of goiter in the body. It binds to iodine receptors in the breast, and lo and behold, it's a known carcinogen to the breast. And iodine, by the way, has anti-carcinogenic properties. So substituting bromine for iodine in the baking industry means that bromine is in all those delicious baked goods we love to consume. We ingest them, and the bromine binds to the body's receptors meant for iodine and undermines iodine from binding to its own receptors. That is a perfect storm. And Dr. Brownstein writes, quote, the consequence of replacing iodine with bromine has been to make a bad situation worse. Iodine deficiency has been accelerated and due to increasing bromide levels, iodine is now being competitively inhibited from binding to its own receptors. The medical consequences include increased thyroid disorders, including autoimmune thyroid disorders, Hashimoto's and Graves' disease, and thyroid cancer. Furthermore, the rise of other cancers, including breast, ovarian, uterine, and prostate, may be related to this phenomenon, end quote. But it doesn't stop there, sadly. Bromine was put in fire retardants in the 70s. So that means it's in our mattresses, it's on our furniture, our window coverings, and more. And then over time, that bromine forms a dust that gets in the air and we breathe it in, 
further undermining any shred of effective iodine levels in our bodies. Now, in terms of baked goods, I will say that I do a lot of baking at my home and I primarily use a sourdough starter made with flours that I source from small farms and never ever from large industrial operations. There is a superb source for good grains that I order from, and that is janiesmill.com. That's J-A-N-I-E-S-M-I-L-L.com, janiesmill.com. They sell certified organic, fresh stone milled flowers that have not been sprayed with glyphosate and other dangerous chemicals. They've not been stripped through industrial processing and nothing is added to them. There is also a wonderful young homemaker that I follow on YouTube and her channel is called Farmhouse on Boone, B-O-O-N-E, and her name is Lisa Bass. Well, this young woman is a dynamo in the kitchen and she is the queen of sourdough. I highly recommend checking out her blog and purchasing her sourdough recipe ebook. She's currently working on a hardcover book and I cannot wait to have that in my kitchen library. Now, obviously you don't have to do sourdough, but I recommend purchasing the kind of grains that Janie's Mill sells for baking, any kind of healthy foods for yourself and your family. In terms of safe mattresses, they cost a bit more, but the way I look at that is pay now or pay later. So a safe and beautifully made mattress is something that I see as an investment. There are a few very good companies out there producing this kind of mattress. You can check out bowlandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L and B-R-A-N-C-H.com. And also birchliving.com. To give you an idea of price, the basic mattress from birchliving.com in a queen size is $1,700 when they have a sale. So that's worth waiting for. And it's a very comfortable and beautiful mattress. Fluoride is also a disruptor of iodine in the body, and Dr. Brownstein cites a study of 288 mice who were fed a diet that contained varying amounts of iodine and fluoride. He writes, quote, the researchers found that the incidence of goiter rose with the increasing intake of fluoride in a low iodine diet. Furthermore, the scientists found that fluoride exposure correlated directly to lower iodine uptake by the thyroid gland in both iodine-sufficient and iodine-deficient diets. The toxicity of fluoride to the thyroid gland was also illustrated when researchers studied the Himalayan people in Nepal. They examined 648 subjects in low iodine areas and concluded that the areas with the highest fluoride levels in water 0.23 ppm had the highest incidence of goiter, nearly 70%. Keep in mind that in the US, iodine levels have fallen substantially over the last 40 years. During the same time, most of the US water supply has been fluoridated with fluoride levels averaging about 1 ppm, which is substantially higher than the fluoride ingested in the Himalayan study end quote. Now, this next paragraph is hugely important for people to be aware of. Quote, many commonly prescribed medications contain fluoride, including the popular SSRI antidepressants such as Paxil and Prozac. Interestingly, there have been reports of this class of antidepressants increasing the risk of breast cancer 
Many medications that contain fluoride have been pulled from the market due to serious adverse effects. Fluoride is still used in many medications. I believe no medication should contain any toxic halogen, fluoride included. Interestingly, many fluoridated medications have been recalled due to an increased incidence of serious adverse effects, end quote. The next halide is chloride, which is an element in the extracellular fluid of the body. Chlorine, on the other hand, is the toxic oxidized form of chloride, and we know that chlorine is added to swimming pools and hot tubs and also the municipal water supply, and it's also found as a whitener in detergents. Dr. Brownstein writes, quote, Americans have been exposed to a high level of chlorine and chlorine byproducts that are toxic to their health. This includes being exposed to the steam of the dishwasher when the door is opened after cleaning, chlorine superheated and combined with detergents. In addition, the widely used sugar substitute sucralose, known as Splenda, contains chlorinated table sugar. No one denies the importance of having clean drinking and swimming pool water that is free of bacteria. However, there are many safer alternatives to disinfecting water, including the use of iodine, hydrogen peroxide, ultraviolet light, and ozone that could be substituted for chlorine. Next up is percolate, which is found naturally in the environment and is also man-made. Dr. Brownstein writes that, quote, Percolate can displace iodine binding in the body. It can damage the iodine transport mechanism, NIS. Percolate at low levels has been found to cause thyroid cancer, goiter, hypothyroidism, and disruption of the normal menstrual cycle, as well as a weakening of the immune system. Percolate is used in a variety of products, including car airbags, leather tanning, and fireworks. The entire Lower Colorado River is contaminated with perchlorate. The Lower Colorado River irrigates more than 1.8 million acres of land, which encompasses over 15% of the nation's crops and 13% of the nation's livestock. Approximately 20 million Americans drink water from the Colorado River, which is contaminated with perchlorate. In fact, at least 43 states have contaminated water from perchlorate. When perchlorate is released into the water supply, it can persist for long periods of time." End quote. Dr. Brownstein also writes that lettuces grown in the southwestern U.S. during the winter months contain very high levels of perchlorate, and there is virtually no difference between organic or conventionally grown lettuce. We are in a time of universal deceit, and that deceit includes not just what we're being spoon-fed by government and large corporations through the media, but also the food we buy, products for the home that include toxic household cleaners, electric cars, garden products, and much more. So we just have to be vigilant. It's the suchness of where we're at. We have to be adaptable and we have to do the deeper research. We can't depend on the usual suspects for the truth. The entire system is infested with greed and corruption. The truth shall set you free as the adage goes. So let's get back to iodine. It's a really good idea to test for iodine levels in your body. 
Dr. Abraham and his colleagues came up with what's called the iodine loading test to assess iodine sufficiency in their patients. Dr. Brownstein states that if the body is saturated with iodine by taking a 50 milligram dose of iodine, it would be expected that the following day, the body would excrete 90% of it because it simply doesn't require it. If the body is iodine deficient, then it will retain as much of that iodine as it possibly can. So if you excrete less than 90% iodine in this test, it indicates that you are in an iodine deficient state. This is when you would want to supplement with iodine, and then you could retest in a few months. To get this test, go to hakalalabs.com, H-A-K-A-L-A labs.com, and you can order the test for $70. You can add the test for bromine levels in your body for an additional $35, which I highly recommend. Dr. Brownstein writes, Chapter one established that iodine concentrates in all the trillions of cells in the body. Not only does it concentrate in the thyroid and breast, it also accumulates in the prostate, salivary glands, skin, intestines, and all the red and white blood cells throughout the body. Proper iodine supplementation needs to address all of these issues. Approximately 12 milligrams of iodine has been established as the optimal daily dose of iodine slash iodide for the breast and thyroid gland. However, this may not be adequate to address the needs of the body. Also, due to the contact with so many goitrogenic substances, such as bromide, fluoride, and chlorine, the daily iodine requirements may be elevated for some. Depending on the iodine status of the body, my experience has shown that the RDA for iodine, 150 UG per day, is inadequate not only for the thyroid gland, but for the rest of the body as well. Although the dose should be individualized, my experience has shown that the dose can vary from 12 to 50 milligrams per day for most adults. This is the daily dose that Dr. Guy Abraham, my mentor on iodine, recommended. Some may need higher doses, particularly those with cancer or disease of the thyroid, ovaries, uterus, breast, and prostate. This higher iodine dose can easily be followed by periodically checking an iodine loading test. If using Lugol's solution, keep in mind that two drops provides 12.5 milligrams, milligrams of a combination of iodine and iodide, end quote. Okay, now if you're going to supplement with iodine, you need to know that you'll require a few other supplements. Iodine must be taken with selenium. Selenium is a trace element that is essential for our health and our bodies do not produce it independently. The thyroid requires adequate selenium levels in order to function properly, and selenium aids in the metabolism of iodine. You only need a small amount of selenium. Brazil nuts are high in selenium, and it's also found in meat and seafood, but you're, you're still not going to get enough from food. Dr. Brownstein cites studies that have found a connection between low selenium levels and Crohn's disease and other gastrointestinal disorders, along with arthritis, heart disease, and cancer of the lung, colorectal, and prostate. That said, 
You only need a small dose or you'll end up with selenosis, which is where the blood contains high doses of selenium. Dr. Brownstein's years of practice in this field have shown that safe doses of selenium are in the 100 to 400 UGs per day. And those doses have not caused selenosis in any of his patients. In Lynn Farrow's book, The Iodine Crisis, she has included the iodine supplementation protocol that was put together by doctors Guy Abraham, MD, David Brownstein, MD, and George Fletches, MD, who've treated thousands of patients with this protocol. This is on page 200 of her book, and I highly recommend reading both her book and Dr. Brownstein's book, and you will then have a solid understanding of iodine and how to supplement with it. Now, HakalaLabs.com sells the supplements as a set along with iodine, which is in tablet form. So you don't have to go looking to other sites for everything. And that web's website again is HakalaLabs.com. Now there is another website I found that discusses the iodine protocol and features the supplements from Hakala Labs in its article. And that site is SteppingStonesLiving.com. And that site explains what each of the supplements is and will do within the protocol. It's very helpful. So I'm going to give you the list of companion nutrients to take with iodine as part of the protocol, but don't feel discouraged or overwhelmed. This is a protocol that has an impressive resume with regard to the patients these doctors have helped. And you'll read some of their stories in each of the books that I've shared. So the website that discusses the iodine protocol and features the supplements from Hakala Labs in its article is again, steppingstonesliving.com. And it's run by Stephanie A. Buist, B-U-I-S-T, who recovered from cancer with the help of Dr. David Brownstein. And she later became a naturopathic doctor. And her site has some good information on iodine. And it has a short list of iodine practitioners in the US and Canada. Unfortunately, she is no longer practicing, as I would have loved to tap her for more information. I want to read you a quick paragraph that discusses the iodine supplementation protocol she did with Dr. Brownstein. This comes from her blog, and she was actually making a point about people thinking they can just jump to very high doses of iodine very quickly, like 150 to 200 milligrams in a short time. She was just incredulous. So this is important to know. And she writes, quote, I'll tell you a little of my story. I had thyroid cancer and went to see Dr. Brownstein, a top iodine doctor in February, 2006. I had active cancer with increasing cancer markers. He did a full lab panel of 26 vials of blood. He put me on 50 milligrams of iodorol. Did you see that? 50 milligrams. I had cancer too. I was on this dose for about nine months, and then we did a loading test. He already knew I was depleted because of my thyroid cancer, so he saw no need to test. He did do a spot test through Quest, and it was very low. After my 24-hour loading test, my saturation showed 60%. Dr. Abraham stated that an individual should reach 90% saturation if all was working properly within six months to a year. So Dr. B increased my dosage, to 75 milligrams because of this level and my cancer markers were not budging. I stayed on this dose until the following October when we then increased it to 100 milligrams. And then eventually six months after that, 125 milligrams as we saw my cancer markers begin to recede. 
I also tested for and was positive for a symporter defect and in brackets, that's a saliva slash serum test available on Hakala Labs website with doctor's orders, which meant it was harder for my body to take in iodine. I finally eliminated cancer in March, 2009. Since then I have maintained 100 milligrams with some time of lower amounts of 50 milligrams. I did retest about a year after my first test and then I went to 66%, but I was dumping large amounts of bromide, insane amounts, 65 milligrams over L and in brackets she wrote, toxic is over five milligrams over L at a dosage of 100 milligrams of iodine, end quote. So that gives us an idea of how conservative Dr. Brownstein is with the iodine protocol. People take things to the extreme and they do it in warp speed, thinking they'll recover even quicker. But we have to remember that our body is nature. And I always say that nature isn't instant coffee. She takes her time and she gets it done right and proper. And in an age of instant gratification, we have to really slow it down and realize that it took years to get out of balance and it takes time to get back into balance. I wanna read you the article on the protocol from her website because she did an incredible job explaining why you need the supplements. I think you'll be very happy I read this to you because this is just so helpful. And I really wish she was still practicing, but she does have a Facebook group that you can join through her website, though she's only able to dedicate a few hours a week to it. She begins by saying that Lugol's formula is the preferred form of iodine because it contains both iodine and potassium iodide different organs and tissues within the body have preferences. And Stephanie writes, quote, the breast, prostate, and stomach prefer to utilize iodine, while the thyroid, salivary gland, and skin prefer to use iodide. When you supplement with one form, most often iodide, you rob the body of functioning at optimum levels. This is why products like SSKI, nascent, and other forms of iodine don't offer the same benefits as Lugol's. Another common issue with iodine supplementing is detoxification. We live in such a toxic world that it is hard not to be toxic on some level. As it relates to iodine, the key toxins are bromide, fluoride, and to a smaller degree, mercury. We need to support the body when supplementing to help it push what iodine releases out of the body, through the kidneys, and out in the urine. This detoxification can also cause stress to your adrenal glands, so supporting them is important to your success. If you are dealing with Hashimoto's, it is critical to ensure that there is a sufficient level of selenium either already on board in your body or that you are taking it along with your iodine. Because selenium can reach toxic buildup levels in the body, it's important that you monitor your levels through an RBC, red blood cell, SE lab test. Please work with your doctor slash healthcare professional to determine your specific needs. I'm also asked why individuals should do the iodine protocol if they, they are thyroidless. I am thyroidless and I take these nutrients. Every cell of the body needs and uses iodine. So she starts with vitamin C, ascorbic acid, 3000 plus milligrams. 
This vitamin is critical for combating oxidation due to toxin release. The adrenals also thrive in a vitamin C rich environment. The adrenal glands are the largest storage site of vitamin C in the body. The NIS symporters, where iodine is pulled into the cells, are supported and in some cases healed when higher doses of vitamin C are provided. Next is selenium, 100 to 200 micrograms. And she writes, selenium is needed by the thyroid hormone creation process by working in conjunction with glutathione peroxidase as a protective mechanism to reduce and neutralize excess hydrogen peroxide. Without this building block, the risk of autoimmune thyroid condition flare-ups increases due to the oxidative damage of TPO. Selenium is also a critical nutrient in the creation of glutathione in the liver where detoxification occurs. Selenium acts as an antioxidant to help protect cells against free radicals. Selenoproteins are needed for T cells, white blood cells, which help our immune system to prevent infections. Next is magnesium, 200 to 400 milligrams. This nutrient is important in over 300 enzyme reactions in the body. During the organification of iodine, intracellular calcium stimulates the NADPH oxidase system. When this becomes overactive, as it can with autoimmune thyroid conditions, magnesium works as a natural balancer. The production of ATP also requires magnesium along with other nutrients. Unrefined salt one half to one teaspoon. The symporters that pull iodine into the cells are known as NIS or sodium iodine symporters. Adequate levels of sodium are needed to ensure proper function. Salt is also used by the body to pull out the bromide being released from the receptors and tissues by the iodine supplementation and carry it from the blood through to the kidneys where it is filtered out into the urine. Unrefined salt is also rich in minerals that help to support the adrenals. Next is B2 slash B3, AKA ATP cofactors, 100 milligrams of B2, 500 milligrams of B3. And she writes, vitamin B2 riboflavin and vitamin B3 niacin are cofactors to the NADPH oxidase pathway. They work at the mitochondrial level to provide more energy. Many with Hashimoto's will comment on an increased level of energy when they add these two nutrients to their protocol. They are both also key in providing sufficient hydrogen peroxide to efficiently oxidize iodide. This is an optional supplement that can be added for the above reasons. Other nutrients that have helped but are not part of the core protocol are boron. This nutrient has proven to be beneficial in the removal of fluoride from the body. It has also shown a positive impact on the NADPH oxidase and ATPASE processes within the cells. Vitamin A, not beta carotene, 25,000 IUs. For some individuals who supplement an iodine, their menstrual cycles or hormones may become imbalanced. Supplementing with higher doses of vitamin A can assist in maintaining proper balance. Research has also shown that it may help to upregulate NIS gene expression to increase iodine uptake. While research has been done on radioactive forms of iodine, it may also equate to the non-radioactive forms as well, since the radioactivity is not a key element in its benefits. 
over the last nine years of supporting both the Yahoo iodine group and the Facebook iodine group with thousands of members, I have seen that when the full protocol is implemented, amazing benefits are realized. It also helps to mitigate the issues seen by many practitioners that causes them to sound the alarm bells. When iodine is supplied in isolation, it can be problematic. Final thoughts. When supplementing with the supporting nutrients, do not try to cut corners. Use high quality supplements. Do not try to obtain them from food alone. It is critical that you ensure that the right levels are available to your body. Vitamin C is often criticized because many ascorbic acid products are sourced from corn, which is often GMO. In my store, I offer non-GMO and tapioca-based options. For selenium, Brazil nuts will not supply the needed dosage of 100 to 200 micrograms per day. The soil where they are grown is also depleted, end quote. So that was a lot of information, but I think really, really essential for you to know. So rather than just taking those supplements in blind trust, we now have an understanding of why they are, are a part of the healing protocol. And I myself am taking them and I'm taking 25 milligrams of iodine daily and I feel great. Now, just a note from Lynn's book that quote, Dr. Guy Abraham cautions that excess calcium supplementation of 2000 to 3000 milligrams per day has been the most common cause of poor response to iodine supplementation. And that's from Vitamin Research News, Volume 22, Number 2. And then she has a protocol update, and this is 2009. But she wrote, data gathered from the Breast Cancer Choices Iodine Investigation Project participants reports that the ATP cofactors help speed iodine absorption and normalize TSH levels, end quote. Okay, there is a salt loading protocol that will clear bromide, dead bacteria, and other toxins. Salt has been used successfully for over 100 years by doctors to clear bromide symptoms. And Lynn writes, quote, you take one quarter teaspoon of unprocessed, unrefined salt dissolved in a half a cup of warm water, then follow immediately with 12 to 16 ounces of pure water. Repeat in 30 to 45 minutes if needed. May repeat again until copious urination begins. Observe subjective response, usually within several hours, end quote. So that's what you do if you want to clear out the bromide. You might have detox symptoms when you start taking iodine, and you'll be releasing bromide and other toxins from your body. Lynn refers to this as iodine-related bromide symptoms. Some of those detox symptoms are eye twitching, foot twitching, tingling in hands or feet, anxiety, emotionality, mouth and tongue sores and cuts or sore mouth, skin cuts, hair loss, brain fog, leg and hip ache that feels like arthritis, metallic taste, rash, sinus ache, runny nose, headache, lethargy, body odor, and in brackets she says bromos is Greek for stench, dry mouth, vision changes, and more. You can read the full list on page 204 of the iodine crisis. The salt loading protocol will help tremendously with detox symptoms, according to many who participated in her Breast Cancer Choices Iodine Investigation Project and also the Cure Zone Iodine Forum members. 
and the Yahoo iodine group members. The consensus from these people is that the salt loading protocol has been the most beneficial for flushing the toxins released when taking iodine. Now you can also pulse the iodine, meaning you would take 48 hours off from ingesting iodine to rest the kidneys while you continue to take the other supplements. So maybe you take weekends off. Taking all the nutrients I just mentioned will also help alleviate detox symptoms. In fact, the ATP cofactors will enhance the cellular detoxification according to Lynn. She emphasizes that you cannot drink enough water. It is essential to flush out the toxins. If you get any skin symptoms during the detox, she says that 25 milligrams of zinc can help. There is so much in both of those books. And I will go into more detail in the second hour and share what Dr. Brownstein and Lynn Farrow have to say about breast and pro prostate cancer, fibrocystic breast disease, ADHD, autism, pregnancy, and more. I hope those who need this information will be helped by it and inspired to nurture their health back to what nature intended for us. Our body is absolutely amazing and it can return to health if we give it the building blocks it requires to heal. So please join me at themushroomsapprentice.com and we'll learn even more about this essential nutrient. 